everyone, Peggy Stanton here, your host on A Place of Peace, where we seek to guide you to the greatest peace, peace even through pandemonium, peace in the heart, which only comes from being at peace with God and surrendering to His will and His guidance. Today we are focusing on peace in the hearts of a man and wife and how that brings peace to the home. How peace in a marriage depends as much or more on husband and wife being spiritual friends as being lovers. Today we are going to explore the subject of spiritual friendship in marriage with two people whose courtship literally began with God, flourished with God, struggled with God, and reconciled with God. Scott and Kimberly Hahn's story of conversion to the Catholic faith has been told in their famous book, Rome, Sweet Home. But the book is also a story of a romance that began as friendship, blossomed into love and marriage, and was nearly rent asunder by Scott's conversion to Catholicism, while Kimberly remained a Protestant. Dr. Scott Hahn, as you all know, is a theology professor and scripture scholar at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. He is a prolific author and speaker and actually co-host of my favorite EWTN show, Franciscan University Presents. Kimberly Hahn is mother of six, grandmother of 19, almost 20 en route, She is also an author and speaker, and as of this year, host of her own radio show, and I will have her give you the name of that show. It's on EWTN. I am going to ask Scott Hahn if you will lead with a prayer, because last week when Kimberly was on, she led with a prayer. So, Scott, uh, will you lead this time? Yes, I would be happy to, and thank you for your invitation and technological hospitality. Let's unite our hearts in prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, your beloved Son, our Savior. And in his name we ask you for the Holy Spirit to come down upon us, to grant us wisdom from on high, to live lives here below that reflect the peace of Christ. Your Father, we ask you to bless all of the people who would share in this time together, And especially bless our marriages and our families. For the glory of Christ and his holy name, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for a beautiful prayer. Let's start with the beginning of this romance. And I have to say, Scott, I never heard any friendship romance between a girl and boy that begins with, Do you believe God exists? which is the first question you asked Kimberly, right? Right. Well, okay, three thoughts. First of all, she was so cute and intelligent and witty and charming. Second, I had to find a way to get to know her. And and third, I wanted to recruit her not only as part of our team of ministry, Young Life, but I already had a sense that she would be the ideal leader for all of the women leaders. So I just wanted to see what she was made of. I wanted to see how she'd respond to a (laughs) a tough question coming out of nowhere. And, okay, we were at a dance. It wasn't the most romantic gesture, but at that point, (laughs) technically I wasn't even allowed to date her if I did succeed in recruiting her. So 
those were my ulterior motives, <laughs> and that was my purpose. Yeah, well, my thought was, oh, dear Lord, he's lost his faith over the summer. Give me the words to say. <laughs> so I'm tumbling around with my you know, explanations. Yes, I believe God exists and why. And finally, at some point, I pause and say, you know, do you believe God exists? And he said, yes. And I said, well, why have you been questioning me? You know, why have you been drilling me? And he said, I wanted to see what you were made of. Do you want to take a walk? <laughs> I thought, yes, I do. So we went on a walk. And yeah, There's something about us too. It, it doesn't take a great imagination for people who know us to recognize that even back then we were both very energetic. We were also quite intense. We were perhaps overextended in our activities and that sort of thing. But as our college chaplain said, you deserve each other. I don't know if that was meant as a compliment. <laughs> I've never felt like I deserved her. <laughs> but I think I recognize now what he meant, and that is any other young lady I think I would have intimidated, and I knew that from dating experience, but she was a force of nature and grace. <laughs> and so I had a sense that clearly God has brought us together for each other. Well, so you had obviously been observing her either from afar or a fairly close distance. I mean, this is not the approach you would have you you used with every girl. <laughs> you didn't say no. to every girl you met, "Do you believe God exists?" This was someone who right. was very special in your mind. Well, you know, you mentioned spiritual friendship, and yeah. at that point in time, it's really what my goal was. I was mm-hmm. sort of on a I had backed myself into a dating fast, recognizing that the dating game was like a lose-lose situation over and again. I had many good experiences, but it just seemed to, to be the wrong way to pursue the right goal. And so I wanted to work with a strong woman of God in reaching people for Christ. Mm-hmm. And I knew a little bit about her dad, who was a famous evangelical leader, but I could also get a sense that in the setting of working together in ministry, we'd get to know each other without any pretext and pretense. And so that's what I was intuiting, and that's really what happened. And, um, you know, looking back on it now, I realize that it may have proven to be the best kind of foundation to lay for the friendship that is intended to flourish in marriage. One of the things that working alongside each other in this ministry and not dating initially, it gave both of us an opportunity to see, was it possible for us to have a richer ministry side by side than either of us could have individually? And that was one of the ways I had prayed for a future spouse, because I knew I knew I had certain gifts and abilities, and Scott also recognized in himself, you know, that he had a number of Mm -hmm. gifts and abilities that God had given him, and yet there was a dynamism as we ministered together, and that really deepened our sense of call to each other. I do want Um, to say, too, that um, we we had the foundation of friendship. We also had a great deal of energy. We were also very committed, and as Kimberly mentioned, you know, we had gifts. We had a vision. Uh, I was triple majoring, working mm-hmm. 25 hours a week in Young Life, as well as being an RA. And she was so involved in theater previous to ministry. And she was just so one of the most active women on campus. And I think God used that sort of chemistry to bring us together. But once we got married way back almost 42 years ago, 
we had to learn how to harness that energy in a united way. And that, to me, was the next big challenge. You know, the, the joke is the two become one and then try to figure out which one, because you know? it's certainly <laughs> you. Well, like all that energy under one roof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, right? And we were yeah. graduate students together at seminary. And when we had the kids, you know, we were very active. But I, I think it took me years longer than it took her to recognize the obvious you know, what was hiding in plain view is what I discovered after several years, and that is we're not called to any kind of competitive relation. It's not just cooperation. It's not just collaboration. The two are really meant to be one. And so I remember just blurting out one day, you know, I've never gone wrong trusting you, and I've never done right mm-hmm. distrusting you. And I thought, even if I could prove that you're wrong, if I went ahead and did that, I would be more wrong. You know, it's sort of like, okay, we're Uh right when we're together. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was a breakthrough. And it wasn't like presto, abacadabra, just immediately everything was Mm hunky-dory. But that was also after, Mm -hmm. well, you know, after seven years, I had entered... How many years of marriage? It was almost 10. And we had great times together in those 10 years. But we also had great Mm -hmm. struggles. You can't get to people with personalities as intense as ours and not have sparks. Mm -hmm. But I think what we learned to do Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. to really unite our hearts and express that trust and respect that takes time, especially for people like us. Well, you know, I was thinking if we can back up a bit where you're still in in that when you discovered each other and you, you mentioned in the book that when you first started, you did start dating, um, you would sit down and you would start talking theology or whatever deep subject, and you'd start at lunch and finish after dinner. And then then after a period of that dating, you announced, Scott, that you had to stop dating and just be friends because you had too many other irons in the fire. And <laughs> So there was where the spiritual friendship, I mean, how do you go from dating and have a romantic eye on somebody and then back up and and mm-hmm. say, well, we'll just be platonic friends for a period of time? That had to be difficult. It was a challenge. It was a challenge. And what I didn't know was that he was telling a handful of people that the next year he intended to date me and, and planned to marry me. I tried to protect my heart and pull back, yeah. you know, and um, and yet during that summer before our senior year, I kept having him come to my heart. And so I took Psalm 34, verse 7, very seriously. I was like, Lord, I want to take delight in you, and you're going to be the focus, not Scott, but I will pray for him every time I think of him. And I do think that's a good thing. If there are people who are single who are listening, I would really encourage you, you know, if there's someone on your heart, a good thing you can do for them every time they come to your mind is to pray for that person. And so, and I did. And I was concerned that I might be feeling a little bit of a senior panic thing, you know, wanting to come back to Grove City College and mm-hmm. not leave without a spouse. And I asked a good friend mm-hmm. mentoring me that summer, I said, pray for me because I don't want to go back and feel a panic about this. And she gave me the example of Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. She said, you know, God did not create 
Eve from the side of Adam and then wake him and say, go hunt for her or tell her to go find mm-hmm. Adam. He just presented Eve to Adam. And she said, at the right time, God will present you to your Adam. And so when I, hmm. uh, and I really had hmm, to think about that. Yeah. And I came back, he passed me by, we were both there early for orientation. And I just knew in my heart that he was my future spouse. Mm-hmm. But I also knew I did not have to make it happen. And in fact, he was seeing mm-hmm. someone else. Uh, initially, my roommate said, oh, doesn't that just cross you to see him with her? And I said, no, because he's going to stop dating her and date me and marry me. <laughs> and I, I knew it. I don't know, I don't know that everybody has that experience, but I did know it. And, um, in fact, when he broke up with a girl, he said, by the way, I'm going to stop dating you because I'm going to date Kim Kirk to marry her. <laughs> and, uh, and then the Lord, well, that was sort of sneaky, uh, Scott. You were um, <laughs> <laughs> saying you were calling it off for a while, and yet in your heart you knew all along you wanted to marry her. <laughs> well, it was a, a summer relationship or the end of the summer kind of thing that I knew was fleeting. But, you know, again, I had recruited Kimberly to work with me and a team of ten others, five guys and five gals, mm-hmm. but knowing that she mm-hmm. was singular. And not only in terms of the potential for ministry, but in terms of our own interpersonal dynamism. And so Mm -hmm. I also knew that technically, according to the rules, we weren't allowed to date. And so dating can be often a closed circle where your gaze is just to turn inward and it almost excludes others. Whereas what we accidentally did, maybe it wasn't accidental, but what we did was to create a relationship, a friendship that was an open circle that mm-hmm. really invited other people. And I got to see her yeah. give talks to young men and women, and mm-hmm. she got to see mm-hmm. me leading music, playing guitar, mm-hmm. giving talks. Mm-hmm. And I just grew in my respect and admiration for her. I knew she was gifted, but to actually employ our gifts in this kind mm-hmm. of collaborative way, it was more exciting than you know any movie we would have gone out to see. And so by the time we reached our senior year and I identified a successor and I was training him to replace me, that created the space and the freedom I needed to get serious about, you know, the decisions Mm -hmm. that I wanted to make with regard to my own long-term, you know, life vocation. Mm -hmm. All right. Now we'll get into, in the marriage, in the first period of the marriage, you were in harmony because you were both Protestant and your um, beliefs were pretty much in allegiance, but then uh, Kimberly, you're doing a study of contraception of all things, and you discover that (laughs) the Catholic teaching on contraception correlates more with uh, Scripture than what the Protestant belief was, right? Yes, and it was not something that I thought would occur. I had begun giving some pro-life talks, and as I spoke about abortion, people would raise Mm -hmm. questions about contraception that was abortive, like the IUD and some forms of the pill, the mini pill in particular, but even the regular pill could have a breakthrough where an egg could be released and fertilized, and then the secondary action of the pill would be to break down the lining of the uterus, and so even in up to 5% of the time, abortion could still occur. And that was a revelation for me when people began to clarify that at my talk, saying, you know, it's not contraception um, 
and abortion are definitely related. So when I signed up for this ethics course, we were to pick a sort of a modern issue. And because this had come up, I thought, now's the time. I'll get course credit. I'll get this out of the way. I need to figure this out. When I came home and told Scott, he, he kind of looked surprised. He said, you know, that's not even an issue. Are, are you sure that's an issue? <laughs> yeah. And well, I, there were seven of us that wanted to explore it. One man said to me, uh, we got in the back of the room, all seven of us, and I guess he sort of appointed himself the, the head of it. And he said, well, you know, I look around and we're all evangelicals. And so hopefully we think that contraception's okay, but we're pro-life. So only a barrier method should be used. And I looked at him, I said, what do you mean that we're just because we're all evangelicals? And he said, well, there are no Catholics here. I said, what difference does that make? Catholics oppose contraception. That was the first I'd ever heard. And I had many Catholic friends. And I looked at him and I said, why do Catholics oppose contraception? And he said, there are only two reasons. He said, number one, the Pope isn't married. And he said, number two, they're out to make all the Catholics they can in the world. And I, I was just <laughs> floored. I said, I can't imagine a thinking Catholic would say that. He said, well, if you want to know, you know, other reasons, you can look into it, but I don't care. And so as I began to explore it, in fact, I did find beautiful reasons that helped us understand marriage better, helped us to understand the act of marriage and what God desired of us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the process, finally, I shared with Scott where I was coming from, and he asked to see some of the materials I was reading, and ultimately, we came to a decision to throw out the contraception, to embrace, at that point, natural family planning, and it changed our lives. But at the same time, I did say to Scott, okay, so... Does that impress you that the Catholic Church alone agrees with this view on contraception? And his comment was, even a blind hog finds an acorn, Kimberly. Like, he did not, he did not let on. That <laughs> At least the Catholic Church got it right somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but we do believe that by changing our minds and then changing our practice, we were open in a new way to the work of the Holy Spirit, and it was a piece of that journey into the church. Mm -hmm. Well, and then, Scott, you, who are such a student of the covenant, discovered that the reason that the contraception is wrong is because it really is the breaking of the covenant between a man and a woman. Am I right there? That's right. I was focused on covenant theology which was an important part of our own Protestant legacy as evangelicals and Presbyterians. And, you know, so what I ended up discovering was this Catholic vision of the marital covenant. And it not only convinced my mind, it really moved my heart. And as a result, you know, I concurred. I read Humane Vitae, and I realized, okay, as I said, even a blind hog gets an acorn. I was quoting my mother at that point who used to use that <laughs> line. But it's important to understand that, you mm -hmm. know, at that point in time, we had a lot of trust and affection. We prayed together. We played together as well. We would try to mm -hmm. find time for a date night at least once a month, if not more. But this was really a challenge for us. Kimberly was by choice an evangelical Protestant by upbringing. I was not just, I mean, she was non-Catholic, but I was more. I was an anti-Catholic. And so for the Catholic Church to get something right on something so controversial, so 
seemingly obvious, mm-hmm. but they nailed mm-hmm. it, you know. It was helpful for me to realize yeah. that Calvin yeah. and Luther yeah. and others had you you know used to agree with the Catholic Church. It wasn't until like the 1930s that Protestant denominations began to break. But it transformed our experience mm-hmm. of marital intimacy to realize the inherent power of love in marriage is mm-hmm. life-giving in a way that love is mm-hmm. in no other expression, no other relationship. And for me, mm-hmm. that was really backing myself into the deepest truth of what covenant is about, that the two become one. Now, covenant relations mm-hmm. are family bonds, mm-hmm. but there's only one kind of family relationship, mm-hmm. and that's between a husband and a wife. It's not a parent, a child. It's not between siblings. Mm-hmm. It's not with neighbors. It's not with cousins or uncles and aunts, but mm-hmm. with the spouse alone mm-hmm. is the life-giving power of love revealed in a way that practically images God. And unbeknownst to me at the time, Pope St. John Paul II was taking the church's teaching to an entirely new level of clarity and depth. And so when I discovered him in total agreement with this, but not just that he agreed with me, but that he had a lot to teach me, not just about the theology of the body, but the two bodies mm-hmm. and marriage and all of that, man, I was set up like mm-hmm. a bowling pin. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was such an exciting time, <laughs> but it was also scary because after I graduated from seminary with Kimberly, we, you know, I was mm-hmm. the only pastor in the mm-hmm. family, but she was playing the piano in worship services. We were still so totally united, even after mm-hmm. she had our first son, Michael. Mm-hmm. You know, but I must admit... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that the truth of the Catholic Church in its teaching was, you know, it, it, in the 80s, it would have been like a conservative Republican following Reagan deciding one day to defect to the Soviet Union. That's how unthinkable it was, you know, because they're the <laughs> yeah. enemy. They, they defect yeah. to yeah. us, you know. But what if? No. But what yeah. if? Yeah. No right. way. And so the greatest challenge in our marriage then began as I was exploring Scripture and reading the Fathers and all of the rest, and again, we don't have to rehearse everything that's there in Rome's sweet home, but we can yeah. still yeah. feel it powerfully as though it was just a few months ago, and not just 35 years. All right. Where are you at the stage? Uh, where are you? I, I can't recall where you were in years of marriage when Scott decides he's going to become a Catholic and you feel utterly betrayed by that. Kimberly. Yeah, so that was East, that was how Easter many years Vigil were you married at that stage? So we were married six and a half years at that point, and it so really you were was still very young marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We and we were married at twenty one, so we were just not even twenty seven years old, or maybe twenty seven, not twenty eight. And because it was such a radical shift for Scott, he really felt very, very compelled to come into the church, and I understood that it was a matter of conscience for him. And I did release him from a previous promise that he wouldn't convert for several years. But I felt abandoned. That was hard, right? Oh, and in terms of spiritual friendship, you know, how... How do you do that? Uh, If we did Bible study, which we had done so much before, it was going to come up Catholic. There's no other way for it to be for him. And we even had a little Bible study in our home, and Scott asked one of the young men if he would lead in prayer, and the first words out of his mouth were, Hail Mary, full of grace. And I just slipped out of the room, (laughs) 
<laughs> knelt on, my, on the floor of my bedroom and just yeah. wept like, dear God in heaven, how can they not know? I think it was a week after Scott came into the church and it was like, how can this person not just pray to you? How can he come into my home and lead in a Hail Mary? And after a couple of weeks, I just said to Scott, please, I can't, I can't take this. I need you to move the Bible study out of our house. So, so much that had so... That was, Mary, Mary was the hardest thing for you to... Oh, by far, by yeah. far. And even, even from the standpoint, you know, I think I went through something like what some men go through when their wives become Christians, and they feel this competitive thing, mm-hmm. you know, how do I compete with the Son of God? Right. Well, how do I compete with the Mother of mm-hmm. God? Mm-hmm. And Scott would pick up his mm-hmm. rosary beads. I knew what it sounded like, and as he walked out the door to sort of take a walk with Mary, oh, I just had such resentment come up, like, I cannot believe that he's going to have this walk with a person who seems you know, just perfect and wonderful and so kind and loving. And he's going to have to walk in the door and deal with me. And at one point, I had written in my journal, I don't know who to go to, and don't tell me Mary and the Saints. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> I just felt so like, if I, if I had called his parents or my parents and said, this is so hard, I can't believe he's doing this, they would have a certain loyalty to me that, our marriage might mm-hmm. not survive. And so I had to keep right. a lot of this to myself. But it, and especially because I did know the integrity with which he was functioning, but I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. want to share these things. And when he would say, ask me anything, mm-hmm. ask me anything, it's like, no, you convince me of anything. And so I, I don't want to hear. <laughs> and he said, so I have nothing to say about anything then. And I'm like, for now. Yes. Oh. And and it was an we have to you know what we're going to have to do <laughs> this is uh, we this we're leaving this right in the middle of the high point <laughs> how does we solve this problem we're going to have to have another show uh, at some point to tell how all this was okay. resolved um, uh, this has just been so interesting. Uh, Kimberly and Scott Hahn telling the story of their spiritual friendship, which almost was rent asunder by the good Lord. <laughs> Lord, tell us how that story ends. And the beautiful end to that story is revealed in Scott and Kimberly Hahn's book, Rome Sweet Home, from Ignatius Press, an inspiring story of love and conversion. I'm Peggy Stanton. Thanks for joining us.